Hello from Japan in spring. I am a Buddhist living in Tokyo. I would like to share with you the main points of the Buddhist scriptures. This podcast contains parables and simple expressions which represent the essence of the sutras he true teachings of the Shakyamuni Buddha, the founder of Buddhism. I sincerely hope that this podcast will provide you with guidance in your encountering of the awakened person in daily life and provides you with fresh answers to your life situations. Now, let's listen to The Way of Purification. One, purification of the mind. People have worldly passions which lead them into delusions and sufferings. There are five ways to emancipate themselves from the bond of worldly passions. First, they should have right ideas of things, ideas that are based on careful observation, and understand causes and effects and their significance correctly. Since the cause of suffering is rooted in the mind's desires and attachments, and since desire and attachment are related to mistaken observations by an ego self, neglecting the significance of the law of cause and effect, and since it is from these wrong observations, there can be peace only if the mind can be rid of these worldly passions. Second, people can get rid of these mistaken observations and resulting worldly passions by careful and patient mind control. With efficient mind control they can avoid desires arising from the stimulation of the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin and the subsequent mental processes and, by so doing, cut off the very root of all worldly passions. Third, they should have correct ideas with regard to the proper use of all things. That is, with regard to articles of food and clothing, they should not think of them in relation to comfort and pleasure, but only in their relation to the body's needs. Clothing is necessary to protect the body against extremes of heat and cold, and to conceal the shame of the body while it is training for enlightenment and buddhahood. Worldly passions cannot arise through such thinking. Fourth, people should learn endurance. They should learn to endure the discomforts of heat and cold, hunger and thirst. They should learn to be patient when receiving abuse and scorn. For it is the practice of endurance that quenches the fire of worldly passions which is burning up their bodies. Fifth, people should learn to see and so avoid all danger. Just as a wise man keeps away from wild horses or mad dogs, so one should not make friends with evil men, nor should he go to places that wise men avoid. If one practices caution and prudence, the fire of worldly passions which is burning in their vitals will die down. There are five groups of desires in the world. Desires arising from the forms the eyes see, from the sounds the ears hear, from the fragrances the nose smells, from tastes pleasant to the tongue, from things that are agreeable to the sense of touch. From these five doors to desire come the body's love of comfort. Most people, being influenced by the body's love of comfort, do not notice the evils that follow comfort and they are caught in a devil's trap like a deer in the forest caught in a hunter's trap. Indeed, these five doors of desires arising from the senses are the most dangerous traps. When caught by them, people are entangled in worldly passions and suffer. They should know how to get rid of these traps. There is no one way to get free from the trap of worldly passions. Suppose you caught a snake, a crocodile, a bird, a dog, a fox and a monkey six creatures of very different natures, and you tie them together with a strong rope and let them go. Each of these six creatures will try to go back to its own lair by its own method. The snake will seek a covering of grass, the crocodile will seek water, 
the bird will want to fly in the air, the dog will seek a village, the fox will seek the solitary ledges, and the monkey will seek the trees of a forest. In the attempt of each to go its own way there will be a struggle, but, being tied together by a rope, the strongest at any one time will drag the rest. Like the creatures in this parable, man is tempted in different ways by the desires of his six senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch and mind, and is controlled by the predominant desire. If the six creatures are all tied to a post, they will try to get free until they are tired out, and then will lie down by the post. Just like this, if people will train and control the mind there will be no further trouble from the other five senses. If the mind is under control people will have happiness both now and in the future. People love their egoistic comfort, which is a love of fame and praise. But fame and praise are like incense that consumes itself and soon disappears. If people chase after honors and public acclaim and leave the way of truth, they are in serious danger and will soon have cause for regret. A man who chases after fame and wealth and love affairs is like a child who licks honey from the blade of a knife. While he is tasting the sweetness of honey, he has to risk hurting his tongue. He is like a man who carries a torch against a strong wind, the flame will surely burn his hands and face. One must not trust his own mind that is filled with greed, anger and foolishness. One must not let his mind run free, but must keep it under strict control. To attain perfect mind control is a most difficult thing. Those who seek enlightenment must first rid themselves of the fire of all desires. Desire is a raging fire, and one seeking enlightenment must avoid the fire of desire as a man carrying a load of hay avoids sparks. But it would be foolish for a man to put out his eyes for fear of being tempted by beautiful forms. The mind is master and if the mind is under control, the weaker desire will disappear. It is difficult to follow the way to enlightenment, but it is more difficult if people have no mind to seek such a way. Without enlightenment, there is endless suffering in this world of life and death. When a man seeks the way to enlightenment, it is like an ox carrying a heavy load through a field of mud. If the ox tried to do its best without paying attention to other things, it can overcome the mud and take a rest. Just so, if the mind is controlled and kept on the right path, there will be no mud of greed to hinder it and all its suffering will disappear. Those who seek the path to enlightenment must first remove all egoistic pride and be humbly willing to accept the light of Buddha's teachings. All the treasures of the world, and its gold and silver and honors, are not to be compared with wisdom and virtue. To enjoy good health, to bring true happiness to one's family, to bring peace to all, one must first discipline and control one's own mind. If a man can control his mind he can find the way to enlightenment, and all wisdom and virtue will naturally come to him. Just as treasures are uncovered from the earth, so virtue appears from good deeds, and wisdom appears from a pure and peaceful mind. To walk safely through the maze of human life, one needs the light of wisdom and the guidance of virtue. The Buddha's teaching, which tells people how to eliminate greed, anger and foolishness, is good teaching and those who follow it attain the happiness of a good life. Human beings tend to move in the direction of their thoughts. If they harbor greedy thoughts, they become more greedy, if they think angry thoughts, they become more angry, if they hold foolish thoughts, their feet move in that direction. At harvest time farmers keep their herds confined, lest they break through the fences into the field and give cause for complaint or for being killed, so people must closely guard their minds against dishonesty and misfortune. They must eliminate thoughts that stimulate greed, anger and foolishness, but encourage thoughts that stimulate charity and kindness.
When spring comes and the pastures have an abundance of green grass, farmers turn their cattle loose, but even then they keep a close watch over them. It is so with the minds of people, even under the best of conditions of mind will bear watching. At one time Shakyamuni Buddha was staying in the town of Kausambi. In this town there was one who resented him and who bribed wicked men to circulate false stories about him. Under these circumstances it was difficult for his disciples to get sufficient food from their begging and there was much abuse in that town. Ananda said to Shakyamuni, We had better not stay in a town like this. There are other and better towns to go to. We had better leave this town. The Blessed One replied, Suppose the next town is like this, what shall we do then? Then we move to another. The Blessed One said, No, Ananda, there will be no end in that way. We had better remain here and bear the abuse patiently until it ceases, and then we move to another place. There are profit and loss, slander and honor, praise and abuse, suffering and pleasure in this world. The enlightened one is not controlled by these external things, they will cease as quickly as they come. 2. The Good Way of Behavior Those who seek the way of enlightenment must always bear in mind the necessity of constantly keeping their body, speech and mind pure. To keep the body pure one must not kill any living creature, one must not steal or commit adultery. To keep speech pure one must not lie, or abuse, or deceive, or indulge in idle talk. To keep the mind pure one must remove all greed, anger and false judgment. If the mind becomes impure, for sure, one's deeds will be impure, if the deeds are impure, there will be suffering. So it is of the greatest importance that the mind and the body be kept pure. Once there was a rich widow who had a reputation for kindness, modesty and courtesy. She had a housemaid who was wise and diligent. One day the maid thought, my mistress has a very good reputation, I wonder whether she is good by nature, or is good because of her surroundings. I will try her and find out. The following morning the maid did not appear before her mistress until nearly noon. The mistress was vexed and scolded her impatiently. The maid replied, if I am lazy for only a day or two, you ought not to become impatient. Then the mistress became angry. The next day the maid got up late again. This made the mistress very angry and she struck the maid with a stick. This became widely known and the rich widow lost her good reputation. Many people are like this woman. While their surroundings are satisfactory they are kind, modest and quiet, but it is questionable if they will behave likewise when the conditions change and become unsatisfactory. It is only when a person maintains a pure and peaceful mind and continues to act with goodness when unpleasant words enter his ears, when others show ill will toward him or when he lacks sufficient food, clothes and shelter, that we may call him good. Therefore, those who do good deeds and maintain a peaceful mind only when their surroundings are satisfactory are not really good people. Only those who have received the Buddha's teachings and are training their minds and bodies by those teachings can be called truly good, modest and peaceful people. As to the suitability of words to be used there are five pairs of antonyms, words that are suitable to their occasions and those not so suitable to theirs, words that fit the facts and those that don't fit, words that sound pleasant and those that sound rude, words that are beneficial and those that are harmful, and words that are sympathetic and those that are hateful. Whatever words we utter should be chosen with care for people will hear them and be influenced by them for good or ill. If our minds are filled with sympathy and compassion, they will be resistant to the evil words we hear. We must not let wild words pass our lips lest they arouse feelings of anger and hatred. The words we speak should always be words of sympathy and wisdom. Suppose there is a man who wants to remove all the dirt from the ground. He uses a spade and a winnow and works perseveringly scattering the dirt all about, but it is an impossible task. Like this foolish man we cannot hope to eliminate all words. 
We must train our mind and fill our hearts with sympathy so that we will be undisturbed by the words spoken by others. One might try to paint a picture with watercolors on the blue sky, but it is impossible. And it is also impossible to dry up a great river by the heat of a torch made of hay, or to produce a crackling noise by rubbing together two pieces of well-tanned leather. Like these examples, people should train their minds so that they would not be disturbed by whatever kinds of words they might hear. They should train their minds and keep them broad as the earth, unlimited as the sky, deep as the big river and soft as well-tanned leather. Even if your enemy catches and tortures you, if you feel resentment, you are not following the Buddha's teachings. Under every circumstance you should learn to think, my mind is unshakable. Words of hatred and anger shall not pass my lips. I will surround my enemy with thoughts of sympathy and pity that flow out from a mind filled with compassion for all sentient life. There is a fable told of a man who found an anthill which burned in the daytime and smoked at night. He went to a wise man and asked his advice as to what he should do about it. The wise man told him to dig into it with a sword. This the man did. He found in succession a gate bar, some bubbles of water, a pitchfork, a box, a tortoise, a butcher knife, a piece of meat and, finally, a dragon which came out. The man reported to the wise man what he had found. The wise man explained the significance of it and said, throw away everything but the dragon, leave the dragon alone and do not disturb him. This is a fable in which, anthill, represents the human body. Burned in the daytime, represents the fact that during the day people turn into acts the things they thought about the previous night. Smoked at night, indicates the fact that people during the night recall with pleasure or regret the things they did the previous day. In the same fable, a man, means a person who seeks enlightenment. A wise man, means Buddha. A sword, means pure wisdom. Dig into it, refers to the effort he must make to gain enlightenment. Further in the fable, gate bar, represents ignorance, bubbles, are puffs of suffering and anger, pitchfork, suggests hesitation and uneasiness, box, suggests the storage of green, anger, laziness, fickleness, repentance and delusion, tortoise, means the body and the mind, butcher knife, means the synthesis of the five sensory desires, and, a piece of meat, means the resulting desire that causes a man to covet after satisfaction. These things are all harmful to man and so Buddha said, throw away everything. Still further, dragon, indicates a mind that has eliminated all worldly passions. If a man digs into the things about him with the sword of wisdom he will finally come to his dragon. Leave the dragon alone and do not disturb him, means to go after and dig up a mind free of worldly desires. Pindola, a disciple of Buddha, after gaining enlightenment, returned to his native place of Kausambi to repay the people there for the kindness they had shown him. In so doing he prepared the field for the sowing of Buddha seeds. On the outskirts of Kausambi there is a small park that runs along the bank of the Ganges River shaded by endless rows of coconut trees and where a cool wind continually blows. One hot summer day, Pindola sat in meditation in the cool shade of a tree when King Udayana came to this park with his consorts for recreation and, after music and pleasure, he took a nap in the shade of another tree. While their king was asleep, his wives and ladies-in-waiting took a walk and suddenly came upon Pindola sitting in meditation. They recognized him as a holy man and asked him to teach them, and they listened to his sermon. When the king awoke from his nap, he went in search of his ladies and found them surrounding this man and listening to his teaching. Being of a jealous and lascivious mind, the king became angry and abused Pindola, saying, It is inexcusable that you, a holy man, should be in the midst of women and enjoy idle talking with them. Pindola quietly closed his eyes and remained silent. The angry king drew his sword and threatened Pindola, but the holy man remained silent and was as a firm as a rock. 
This made the king still more angry so he broke open an anthill and threw some of the ant-filled dirt upon him, but still Pindola remained sitting in meditation, quietly enduring the insult and pain. Thereupon, the king became ashamed of his ferocious conduct and begged Pindola's pardon. As a result of this incident, the Buddha's teaching found its way into the king's castle and from there it spread all over the country. A few days later King Udayana visited Pindola in the forest retreat where he lived and asked him, Honored teacher, how is it that the disciples of Buddha can keep their bodies and minds pure and untempted by lust, although they are mostly young men? Pindola replied, Noble Lord, Buddha has taught us to respect all women. He has taught us to look upon all old women as our mothers, upon those of our own age as our sisters, and upon younger ones as our daughters. Because of this teaching the disciples of Buddha are able to keep their bodies and minds pure and untempted by lust although they are youthful. But, honored teacher, one may have impure thoughts of a woman the age of a mother or a sister or a daughter. How do the disciples of Buddha control their desires? Noble Lord, the Blessed One taught us to think of our bodies as secreting impurities of all kinds such as blood, pus, sweat and oils, by thinking thus, we, although young, are able to keep our minds pure. Honored teacher, still press the king. It may be easy for you to do this for you have trained your body and mind, and polished your wisdom, but it would be difficult for those who have not yet had such training. They may try to remember the impurities but their eyes will follow beautiful forms. They may try to see the ugliness but they will be tempted by the beautiful figures just the same. There must be some other reason that the young men among the Buddha's disciples are able to keep their actions pure. Noble Lord, replied Pindola, the Blessed One teaches us to guard the doors of the five senses. When we see beautiful figures and colors with our eyes, when we hear pleasant sounds with our ears, when we smell fragrance with our nose, or when we taste sweet things with our tongue or touch soft things with our hands, we are not to become attached to these attractive things. We are taught to carefully guard the doors of these five senses. It is by this teaching of the Blessed One that even young disciples are able to keep their minds and bodies pure. The teaching of Buddha is truly marvelous. From my own experience I know that if I confront anything beautiful or pleasing, without being on my guard, I am disturbed by the senses' impressions. It is of vital importance that we be on guard at the doors of the five senses, at all times to keep our deeds pure. Whenever a person expresses the thought of his mind in action there is always a reaction that follows. If one abuses you, there is a temptation to answer back, or to be revenged. One should be on guard against this natural reaction. It is like spitting against the wind, it harms no one but oneself. It is like sweeping dust against the wind, it does not get rid of the dust but defiles oneself. Misfortune always dogs the steps of one who gives way to the desire for revenge. It is a very good deed to cast away greed and to cherish a mind of charity. It is still better to keep one's mind intent on respecting the noble path. One should get rid of a selfish mind and replace it with a mind that is earnest to help others. An act to make another happy inspires the other to make still another happy, and so happiness is born from such an act. Thousands of candles can be lighted from a single candle, and the life of the candle will not be shortened. Happiness never decreased by being shared. Those who seek enlightenment must be careful of their each step. No matter how high one's aspiration may be, it must be attained step by step. The steps of the path to enlightenment must be taken in our everyday life. At the very beginning of the path to enlightenment there are 20 difficulties for us to overcome in this world, and they are. 1. It is hard for a poor man to be generous. 2. It is hard for a proud man to learn the way of enlightenment. 3. It is hard to seek enlightenment at the cost of self-sacrifice. 4. It is hard to be born while Buddha is in the world. 5. It is hard to hear the teaching of Buddha. 6. 
it is hard to keep the mind pure against the instincts of the body. 7. It is hard not to desire things that are beautiful and attractive. 8. It is hard for a strong man not to use his strength to satisfy his desires. 9. It is hard not to get angry when one is insulted. 10. It is hard to remain innocent when tempted by sudden circumstances. 11. It is hard to apply oneself to study widely and thoroughly. 12. It is hard not to despise a beginner. 13. It is hard to keep oneself humble. 14. It is hard to find good friends. 15. It is hard to endure the discipline that leads to enlightenment. 16. It is hard not to be disturbed by external conditions and circumstances. 17. It is hard to teach others by knowing their abilities. 18. It is hard to maintain a peaceful mind. 19. It is hard not to argue about right and wrong. 20. It is hard to find and learn a good method. Good men and bad men differ from each other in their natures. Bad men do not recognize a sinful act as sinful, if its sinfulness is brought to their attention, they do not cease doing it and do not like to have anyone inform them of their sinful acts. Wise men are sensitive to right and wrong, they cease doing anything as soon as they see that it is wrong, they are grateful to anyone who calls their attention to such wrong acts. Thus good men and bad men differ radically. Bad men never appreciate kindness shown them, but wise men appreciate and are grateful. Wise men try to express their appreciation and gratitude by some return of kindness, not only to their benefactor, but to everyone else. Three, teaching in ancient fables. Once upon a time, there was a country which had the very peculiar custom of abandoning its aged people in remote and inaccessible mountains. A certain minister of the state found it too difficult to follow this custom in the case of his own aged father and so he built a secret underground cave where he hid his father and cared for him. One day a god appeared before the king of that country and gave him a puzzling problem, saying that if he could not solve it satisfactorily, his country would be destroyed. The problem was, here are two serpents, tell me the sex of each. Neither the king nor anyone in the palace was able to solve the problem. The old man said, it is an easy solution, place the two snakes on a soft carpet, the one that moves about is the male, and the other that keeps quiet is the female. The minister carried the answer to the king and the problem was successfully solved. Then the god asked other difficult questions which the king and his retainers were unable to answer, but which the minister, after consulting his aged father, could always solve. Here are some of the questions and their answers. Who is the one who, being asleep, is called the awakened one, and, being awake, is called the sleeping one? The answer is this, it is the one who is under training for enlightenment. He is awake when compared with those who are not interested in enlightenment, he is asleep when compared with those who have already attained enlightenment. How can you weigh a large elephant? Load it on a boat and draw a line to mark how deep the boat sinks into the water. Then take out the elephant and load the boat with stones until it sinks to the same depth, and then weight the stones. What is the meaning of the saying? A cupful of water is more than the water of an ocean. This is the answer. A cupful of water given in a pure and compassionate spirit to one's parents or to a sick person has an eternal merit, but the water of an ocean will someday come to an end. Next the god made a starving man, reduced to skin and bones, complain, is there anyone in this world more hungry than I? The man who is so selfish and greedy that he does not believe in the three treasures of the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, and who does not make offerings to his parents and teachers, is not only more hungry but he will fall into the world of hungry demons and there he will suffer from hunger forever. Here is a plank of chandana wood, which end was the bottom of the tree. 
Float the blank in water. The end that sinks a little deeper was the end nearest the root. Here are two horses apparently of the same size and form. How can you tell the mother from the son? Feed them some hay. The mother horse will push the hay toward her son. Every answer to these difficult questions pleased the god as well as the king. The king was grateful to find out that the answers had come from the aged father whom the minister had hidden in the cave, and he withdrew the law of abandoning aged people in the mountains and ordered that they were to be treated kindly. Queen of Vidiha in India once dreamed of a white elephant that had six ivory tusks. She coveted the tusks and besought the king to get them for her. Although the task seemed an impossible one, the king who loved the queen very much offered a reward to any hunter who would report if he found such an elephant. It happened that there was just such an elephant with six tusks in the Himalayan mountains who was training for buddhahood. The elephant once had saved a hunter's life in an emergency in the depths of the mountains and the hunter could go back safely to his country. The hunter, however, blinded by the great reward and forgetting the kindness the elephant had shown him, returned to the mountains to kill the elephant. The hunter, knowing that the elephant was seeking buddhahood, disguised himself in the robe of a Buddhist monk and, thus catching the elephant off guard, shot it with a poisoned arrow. The elephant, knowing that its end was near and that the hunter had been overcome by the worldly desire for the reward, had compassion upon him and sheltered him in its limbs to protect the hunter from the fury of the other revengeful elephants. Then the elephant asked the hunter why he had done such a foolish thing. The hunter told of the reward and confessed that he coveted its six tusks. The elephant immediately broke off the tusks by hitting them against a tree and gave them to the hunter saying, by this offering I have completed my training for Buddhahood and will be reborn in the pure land. When I become a Buddha, I will help you to get rid of your three poisonous arrows of greed, anger and foolishness. In a thicket at the foot of the Himalayan mountains there once lived a parrot together with many other animals and birds. One day a fire started in the thicket from the friction of bamboos in a strong wind and the birds and animals were in frightened confusion. The parrot, feeling compassion for their fright and suffering, and wishing to repay the kindness he had received in the bamboo thicket where he could shelter himself, tried to do all he could to save them. He dipped himself in a pond nearby and flew over the fire and shook off the drops of water to extinguish the fire. He repeated this diligently with a heart of compassion out of gratitude to the thicket. This spirit of kindness and self-sacrifice was noticed by a heavenly god who came down from the sky and said to the parrot, You have a gallant mind but what good do you expect to accomplish by a few drops of water against this great fire? The parrot answered, There is nothing that can not be accomplished by the spirit of gratitude and self-sacrifice. I will try over and over again and then over in the next life. The great god was impressed by the parrot's spirit and together they extinguished the fire. At one time there lived in the Himalayas a bird with one body and two heads. Once one of the heads noticed the other head eating some sweet fruit and felt jealous and said to itself, I will then eat poison fruit. So it ate poison and the who bird died. At one time the tail and the head of a snake quarreled as to which should be the front. The tail said to the head, You are always taking the lead, it is not fair, you ought to let me lead sometimes. The head answered, It is the law of our nature that I should be the head, I cannot change places with you. But the quarrel went on and one day the tail fastened itself to a tree and thus prevented the head from proceeding. When the head became tired with the struggle the tail had its own way, with the result that the snake fell into a pit of fire and perished. In the world of nature there always exists an appropriate order and everything has its own function. If this order is disturbed, 
the functioning is interrupted and the who order will go to ruin. There was a man who was easily angered. One day two men were talking in front of the house about the man who lived there. One said to the other, he is a nice man but is very impatient, he has a hot temper and gets angry quickly. The man overheard the remark, rushed out of the house and attacked the two men, striking and kicking and wounding them. When a wise man is advised of his errors, he will reflect on them and improve his conduct. When his misconduct is pointed out, a foolish man will not only disregard the advice but rather repeat the same error. Once there was a wealthy but foolish man. When he saw the beautiful three-storied house of another man, he envied it and made up his mind to have one built just like it, thinking he was himself just as wealthy. He called a carpenter and ordered him to build it. The carpenter consented and immediately began to construct the foundation, the first story, the second story, and then the third story. The wealthy man noticed this with irritation and said, I don't want a foundation or a first story or a second story, I just want the beautiful third story. Build it quickly. A foolish man always thinks only of the results, and is impatient without the effort that is necessary to get good results. No good can be attained without proper effort, just as there can be no third story without the foundation and the first and the second stories. A foolish man was once boiling honey. His friend suddenly appeared and the foolish man wanted to offer him some honey, but it was too hot, and so without removing it from the fire he fanned it to make it cool. In like manner, it is impossible to get the honey of cool wisdom without first removing it from the fire of worldly passions. Once there were two demons who spent a whole day arguing and quarreling about a box, a cane and a pair of shoes. A man, passing by, inquired, why are you arguing about these things? What magical power have they that you should be quarreling about possessing them? The demons explained to him that from the box they could get anything they desired, food, clothing or treasure, with the cane they could subdue all their enemies, and with the pair of shoes they could travel through the air. Upon hearing this, the man said, Why quarrel? If you will go away for a few minutes, I can think of a fair division of the things between you. So the two demons retired and as soon as they were gone, the man put on the shoes, seized the box and cane and was off through the air. The demons represent men of heathen beliefs. A box means the gifts that are made in charity, they do not realize how many treasures can be produced from charity. A cane, means the practice of concentration of the mind. Men do not realize that by the practice of spiritual concentration of mind, they can subdue all worldly desires. A pair of shoes, means the pure disciplines of thought and conduct, that will carry them beyond all desires and arguments. Without knowing these, they quarrel and argue about a box, a cane and a pair of shoes. Once upon a time a man was traveling alone. He came to a vacant house toward the evening and decided to spend the night there. About midnight a demon brought in a corpse and left it on the floor. Shortly, another demon appeared and claimed the corpse as his and they quarreled over it. Then the first demon said it was useless to argue about it further and proposed that they refer it to a judge to decide the possessor. The other demon agreed to this and, seeing the man cowering in the corner, asked him to decide the ownership. The man was terribly frightened, for he well knew that whatever decision he might make would anger the demon that lost and that the losing demon would seek revenge and kill him, but he decided to tell truthfully just what he had witnessed. As he expected, this angered the second demon who grabbed one of the man's arms and tore it off, but the first demon replaced the arm with one taken from the corpse. The angry demon tore away the man's other arm, 
but the first demon immediately replaced that with the other arm of the corpse. And so it went on until both arms, both legs, the head and the body had been successively torn away and replaced with the corresponding parts of the corpse. Then the two demons, seeing the parts of the man scattered about on the floor, picked them up and devoured them and went away chuckling. The poor man who had taken refuge in the deserted house was very much upset by his misfortunes. The parts of his body which the demons had eaten were the parts his parents had given him, and the parts that he now had belonged to the corpse. Who was he, anyway? Realizing all the facts, he was unable to figure it out and, becoming crazy, he wandered out of the house. Coming to a temple, he went in and told his troubles to the monks. People could see the true meaning of selflessness in his story. Once a beautiful and well-dressed woman visited a house. The master of the house asked her who she was, and she replied that she was the goddess of wealth. The master of the house was delighted and so treated her nicely. Soon after another woman appeared who was ugly looking and poorly dressed. The master asked who she was and the woman replied that she was the goddess of poverty. The master was frightened and tried to drive her out of the house, but the woman refused to depart, saying, The goddess of wealth is my sister. There is an agreement between us that we are never to live separately, if you chase me out, she is to go with me. Sure enough, as soon as the ugly woman went out, the other woman disappeared. Birth goes with death, fortune goes with misfortune, bad things follow good things. Men should realize this. Foolish people dread misfortune and strive after good fortune, but those who seek enlightenment must transcend both of them and be free of worldly attachments. Once there lived a poor artist who left his home, leaving his wife, to seek his fortune. After three years of hard struggles he had saved three hundred pieces of gold and decided to return to his home. On his way he came to a great temple in which a grand ceremony of offering was in progress. He was greatly impressed by it and thought to himself, Hitherto, I have thought only of the present, I have never considered my future happiness. It is a part of my good fortune that I have come to this place, I must take advantage of it to plant seeds of merit. Thinking thus, he gratefully donated all his savings to the temple and returned to his home penniless. When he reached home, his wife reproached him for not bringing her some money for her support. The poor artist replied that he had earned some money but had put it where it would be safe. When she pressed him to tell where he had hidden it, he confessed that he had given it to the monks at a certain temple. This made the wife angry and she scolded her husband and finally carried the matter to the local judge. When the judge asked the artist for his defense, the artist said that he had not acted foolishly, for he had earned the money during long and hard struggles and wanted to use it as seed for future good fortune. When he came to the temple it seemed to him that there was the field where he should plant his gold as seed for good fortune. Then he added, When I gave the monks the gold, it seemed that I was throwing away all greed and stinginess from my mind, and I have realized that real wealth is not gold but mind. The judge praised the artist's spirit, and those who heard of this manifested their approval by helping him in various ways. Thus the artist and his wife entered into permanent good fortune. A man living near a cemetery heard one night a voice calling him from a grave. He was timid to investigate it himself but the next day he mentioned it to a brave friend, who made up his mind to trace the place whence the voice came the following night. While the timid man was trembling with fear, his friend went to the cemetery and, sure enough, the same voice was heard coming from a grave. The friend asked who it was and what it wanted. The voice from under the ground replied, I am a hidden treasure that has decided to give myself to someone, 
I offered it to a man last night but he was too timid to come after it, so I will give it to you who are worthy of it. Tomorrow morning I will come to your house with my seven followers. The friend said, I will be waiting for you, but please tell me how I am to treat you. The voice replied, We will come in monk's robes. Have a room ready for us with water, wash your body and clean the room, and have seats for us and eight bowls of rice porridge. After the meal, you are to lead us one by one into a closed room in which we will transform ourselves into crocs of gold. The next morning this man washed his body and cleaned the room just as he had been told and waited for the eight monks to appear. In due time they appeared and he received them courteously. After they had eaten the food he led them one by one into a closed room, where each monk turned himself into a crock full of gold. There was a very greedy man in the same village who learned of the incident and wanted the crocks of gold. He invited eight monks to his house. After their meal he led them into a closed room, but instead of turning themselves into crocks of gold, they became angry and rough and reported the greedy man to the police who eventually arrested him. As for the timid man, when he heard that the voice from the grave had brought wealth to the brave man, he went to the house of the brave man and greedily demanded the gold, insisting that it was his, because the voice first addressed him. When the timid man tried to take the crocs away he found lots of snakes inside raising their heads ready to attack him. The king heard about his and ruled that the crocs belonged to the brave man and uttered the following observation, everything in the world goes like this. Foolish people are avaricious for good results only, but are too timid to go after them and, therefore, are continually failing. They have neither faith nor courage to face the internal struggles of the mind by which alone true peace and harmony can be attained. Thanks for listening. This passage from the podcast was excerpted and edited from Teachings of the Buddha published by Bukkyo Dendo Kyokai. The name means Buddhist Missionary Association in Japanese and has an office in Mita, Minato-ku, Tokyo. They own the copyright of this English translation of Buddhist scriptures. You will have access to Buddhist scriptures translated into languages from around the world. Next time we will listen to Buddha's The Way of Practical Attainment. Goodbye. See you soon. Take care.